This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Coming to you live from Los Angeles in Thrai, Tau. One. Here we go. Hola, bienvenidos, buongiorno, one and all. Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of the Low Life Podcast. I'm your puka shell wearing, Bond Dutch loving, flaming hot Cheeto finger licking. <laughs> a mess. What a mess. A hot mess of a host, Lorenzo von Rumpf. And I am so happy to be here with you today. There is no place I'd rather be than here with my low lifers. I hope you're having a great week so far and you're feeling pretty good. But if you're not having a good week and you're feeling a bit stressed, depressed, anxious, hell, all of the above, don't you worry, boo-boo. We're about to turn that frown upside down. We got a great show in store for you today. Before we get into this week's episode, let's talk about mental health. Nobody asked, but my mental health score on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm looking at a solid 8.8 for myself this week. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. 88%. That's week two consecutive weeks of feeling okay. And so I'm just going to ride it to the wheels fall off. As we all know, mental health could take a bit of a dip. But right now, I'm, I'm just giving myself a fighting chance. I'm drinking my lemon water in the mornings. I'm journaling. I'm stretching. I'm trying not to be so hard on myself. That's one thing I'm really working on, especially this week is not being so critical, not so hard on myself. Oh, I could be my own worst critic, my own worst enemy at times. And so really working on that positive self-talk has been a game changer in the last couple of weeks. That's the thing when it comes to mental health. It's a constant work in progress, and I have to actually put in the work to give myself a chance to have a better score. So that's what I've been doing. Part of taking care of myself mental health-wise is really paying attention to how I'm able to recharge and looking at the relationships around me, specifically paying attention to the relationships that fill my cup and also the relationships that drain me. Now, when I say a friend is draining, that doesn't necessarily make them a bad friend. Like, I have one friend of mine, and he loves to go out. I mean, we've been in a pandemic for the last couple years. Now restrictions are loosening up and he's able to go out to bars and stuff. But he's always been that friend that loves to go out, hit the town, get drinks at the bar, have a nice big fancy dinner. There's going to be friends involved. It's going to be a big group situation. That's his shtick. He loves that. That's where he thrives. And so I know whenever he asks me to hang out, it's going to be one of those nights. And so <laughs> I love it. I just have to be in the right headspace for something like that. That's a friend I could only handle in small doses because it could be a bit draining for me. After I hang out with him, I need a couple days of recovery. <laughs> and that's not just because of the drinking. It's because it's very social and we're going out and it's just a lot. I have another friend of mine. I love her, but right now she's going through a tough time at work. And so every conversation we have right now is based around her difficult time at work she doesn't really ask about me, if I'm being honest. <laughs> she doesn't care how I'm doing right now. But I also have to understand that this is a friend that I have for the long haul. This is a friend that I'm investing in and I care about. I love her. And so the fact that she doesn't ask about me right now, even though it doesn't feel like a 50-50, even Steven type of a situation in our relationship of give and take right now, 
that's okay because I also recognize that when you have relationships with people, it's not always going to be 50-50. It's not always going to be fair. She could only give, let's say, like 20%. So right now, the split with our friendship feels like a 20-80. So that's okay because I know she's going through it right now. And that happens with relationships. Hell, when I was going through it and I lost Dookie, I had friends that were giving freaking 90%. All I had to offer was barely 10%. And I know those are friends who are there to help pick me up when I could barely give anything to the friendship and they're not going to hold it against me and they're going to love me unconditionally. And that to me is a testament to a good friend if they could love you unconditionally and be there for you with no questions asked. And I'm lucky to have people like that in my life. Two of those people are on the show today. Two of those friends who actually refuel my energy tank, who I love being around, and I feel like it's effortless. Those friends, oh, they are top tier, top deck of the Titanic, 10 out of 10 friends. Caitlin and Jason are like that for me. I I love hanging out with them. We don't get sick of each other. And that's a very rare situation when you have people who are so close to each other. And my buddy Jacob, who is on the podcast today with his wife, Lexi, are also two of those people in my life who are here in Los Angeles. And I just absolutely love hanging out with them. The great thing about them is hanging out with Jacob and Lexi requires little to no mental effort on my end. I could just be in the moment And it's great. And we don't really have to be doing anything. I could be just laying on the couch and it's enjoyable. I met Jacob like seven or eight years ago. And I met this guy on set. He's the 6'3". He has the tatted sleeves, a bit of swagger. The guy is a good looking dude and he is so kind. And I mean, he's beautiful on the outside, but has a beautiful heart on the inside. He's so generous. And we bonded over our love of spicy food and music. Those are the two things that have really grounded this friendship. This white dude from Nashville, I mean, white on the outside, but I could swear he's half black, half Latino on the inside because he loves the soul food and he definitely is down for the spice. He has this R&B side. He likes to sing. He could rap. And he's just a good human that I thoroughly enjoy being around. So when Jacob started dating Lexi and then they got married during the pandemic. So I met his new wife. They've been together for two years. And Lexi is an absolute dream girl. I mean, she's gorgeous on the outside. She looks like Zoe Saldana. That's definitely her doppelganger. She's a model. She's an actress. She's actually one of the Price is Right girls. She's behind door number three. And she's on the bold and the beautiful. Anyway, Lexi is not only gorgeous on the outside, she is a wonderful human being. So funny, so sweet, very insightful, very generous, and also paranoid of psychopaths, just like I am. We bonded over our love of serial killer documentaries, cult documentaries, and the three of us have gone down the rabbit hole together. Any type of serial killer, cult, psychopath documentary, a really good docu-series, or an amazing show on Netflix, Lexi and Jacob are now my go-to people to watch anything like that with. We just recently started watching the new season of Ozark. Oh, it's so good. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. Oh, I love it. I love going over to their place. I'll be in my cozy sweats. We'll order some takeout and watch a great show. And then we'd love to dissect it. And this is something we enjoy doing together. And I thought, oh, this would be such a great podcast, especially because there's a Netflix documentary that recently came out that a lot of people have been talking about. It's called White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. Ah, I was so into this. Couldn't wait to watch it. I called up Jacob and Lexi and I asked, you guys want to watch this together? And then we could talk about it on the podcast. And they were totally game to do that. 
And it's the perfect demographic of people to review this particular documentary because we're all millennials. We all loved us some Abercrombie and Fitch. Well, Lexi worked for Hollister at one point. I briefly worked for Abercrombie and Fitch. Very early days, I was fired. Lexi was fired too from Hollister. <laughs> so <laughs> we have our experience with Abercrombie. But I just remember that brand being such a big deal. Back in the day, especially when I was in high school, like no brand embodied that phrase sex sells more than Abercrombie and Fitch. It was literal just sex all over the store from the moment you walked in and saw a giant naked torso of a dude to their campaigns and their catalogs, which were basically just nude models frolicking in the sun with perfect bodies. <laughs> The brand was a big deal back in the day. Oh, people were obsessed with Abercrombie and Fitch, the smell of the cologne, the look of the stores. So I was really excited to go down the rabbit hole with Jacob and Lexi and watch this documentary. This brand is plagued with so much corruption, and it started from the head all the way down. Mike Jeffries, the CEO of Abercrombie and Fitch, they talk a lot about him in the documentary, of course. But he was a marketing genius. The guy had a vision for this brand. He wanted to take this heritage brand and turn it into a teenage sex dream. And that's exactly what he did. It was toxic. He was very corrupt. <laughs> but again, the brand sold. It made him millions and millions of dollars, billions of dollars, actually. The brand sold. It was so popular. I mean, Abercrombie & Fitch was selling like hotcakes. Everybody in America and around the world loved it. While we were watching this documentary and then, of course, talking about it on this podcast, it's interesting to see how, of course, this is just one brand and there are millions of brands out there. But Abercrombie & Fitch was so significant in how it shaped our culture back then. Oh, it was a vibe. It was definitely a vibe. And the brand stood by the vibe of the clothes came second to the feeling that you got shopping at an actual Abercrombie & Fitch. You could smell it a mile away. And so this episode, we're going to dive into the rabbit hole of the Netflix documentary, White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. Hit it. You look like a girl from Abercrombie and Fitch. New kids on the block, had a bunch of hits. Chinese food makes me sick. And I think it's fly when girls stop by for the summer. For the summer. I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. I take her if I had one wish. But she's been gone since that summer. Since that summer. In watching this documentary, I thought I was going to go down memory lane. It was a bit of a different direction that this documentary took. <laughs> Very much so. Was not expecting it. I thought it was going to be sweet and... Nostalgic. Cool. Yeah, talking about like how we were so into this brand and kind of the, the rise and a bit of the fall of the brand, or it's not that popular anymore. But I thought it was just going to kind of cover that, which it does. I guess the reasoning why this yeah. brand is shrouded in a lot of lawsuits. There's a lot of litigation happening with Abercrombie & Fitch. A lot of discriminatory lawsuits. and There's a lot of darkness, and I'm not talking about the store. Okay. <laughs> Perfect person to say it, a biracial queen. Let's just say it for the record, because we're going to jump into a little bit of racial issues here. But I'm glad that you're on the podcast, because as a black woman who actually worked for Hollister at one point in your life, that's interesting. Okay, tell me about working at Hollister. Why did you want to work for the brand? Were you obsessed with California? That was the, I guess, California beach coastal vibe store. Yeah. So growing up in the Midwest, I feel like that was everyone's kind of goal 
To look, yeah. To be cool. You were chasing to be cool, kind of. Well, I guess not everyone, but for me it was. And so I saw Hollister and I'm like, you have a video up in your store of live beach scene or whatever. Huntington Beach, California. Yeah. And I'm like, this is great. I love the clothes. I loved wanting to be cool. So I applied and I got a job. But man, I stayed in the back the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) They stuck me in the back. Really? The back room. Yeah. Organizing flip-flops. We're going to get into this documentary. I think it's worth watching. It's interesting. There's just a bit of heavy topics brought into it. But what I thought was fascinating was the way that they employed people for Hollister and Abercrombie and Fitch, how they terminated employees for that matter, was going from... I guess typically you would get a notice, you'd have, you know, a, a write-up or two. Wait, or you three. got a notice? No, no. <laughs> She's all like <laughs> still fresh for Lexi. <laughs> I'm traumatized. They basically terminated their employees as if it was like a boy relationship. You yeah. just didn't get a call back. That's so interesting to me. Like you would be on the schedule one week and then all of a sudden you're just not on it. And if you call back, they're like, you're just not on the schedule. So you don't ever really know if you were fired or not. So what I read is that the managers had weekly reviews where they would rate the employees from on a cool scale from like not cool all the way to rocks. And the people that were rated not cool would be basically like... They were saying cool and not rocks as in like personality, but the reality was they're judging based on what looks? Popularity. Popularity. Yeah, because they wanted the people that would bring in more people. And they didn't really care if you did a good job or a bad job. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like people would just not get put on the schedule if they were voted as like not cool. <laughs> and you would just. Well, no wonder because I was a loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I brought no one in. Yeah. Look at you now, though. On Price is uh, Right. So it's a full circle moment. But in watching this documentary, actually, we should take it back to just to give some backstory on this brand, because I didn't know much about it at all. Abercrombie & Fitch, even though I worked for the company very briefly, very briefly, like more seasonal vibes. But I didn't know where it originated and stuff. And Jacob is our on the ground running investigative report. He's our yeah brand historian. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Lo, reporting live. <laughs> We're here from Alabama, California. I, I don't know. Some that's probably where the brand started. No, it was it was like the eighteen end of the eighteen hundreds in New York City. It was like an outdoor um, hunting and fishing company. Okay. Um, so some of the old presidents, I think Eisenhower, JFK, they wore this. They even sold like tents and it was still canoes. called Abercrombie and Fitch. Yes, even though. I think Fitch had left and it was just Abercrombie that ran the company. Oh, Abercrombie and Fitch are two dudes. Two guys that started it. One was a customer that would come in to this guy's shop. And so they ended up combining names. I didn't know that. But so it it started failing and I think they went bankrupt in the 70s. And then fast forward to like late 80s is when Les Wexner and the limited brands bought the company. Oh, we got to talk about Les Wexner. This guy is an industry Titan. This guy, any so Express, Victoria's Secret, Gap, Abercrombie, American Eagle. I don't think that was one of them. Yeah, they're the limited. The I li- mean, it just yeah, there's so many companies within that umbrella. It's so his crazy. company is the limited, and he had all these brands. Mm-hmm. The Merlin of the Mall is what they called him. The like the wizard, like the wizard. Ooh. Damn, 
he did kind of look like a, a little wizard too. Yeah, just not the kind of wizard he's, you want to be around. Yeah, he's 84 years old, so he's still kicking. And he's part of the Billionaires Club. He's worth over like $7 billion to this day. So he wow. is the one who got Abercrombie and Fitch, brought it under his business umbrella. umbrella and kept the branding as Abercrombie and Fitch. And then he brought on the next guy who is a big part of Abercrombie. He's the president, the CEO. Michael Jeffries. Michael freaking Jeffries. Michael plastic surgery. Ooh, he's been pulled a little bit tight. He was obsessed with image. Very Gary Im Busey. He looks like Gary Busey now with a lot more plastic surgery. Freaky kind of looking guy. They used only one image of him the whole documentary. <laughs> Lexi brought that to my attention. She's like, dang. so bad. Couldn't they use other photos of him? It was one where his like eye was a little bit wonky cockeyed it was very <laughs> that alarming. was intentional because there's oh, other yeah. photos of the dude but they used one where he looked crazy nuts crazy hair eyes wonky a bad procedure or six of them so this dude he worked for a couple women's brands in the 80s failed they failed yeah and then they brought him on and he hired this photographer bruce weber yes so just to get a little bit into the origin story of, what's his name again? Oh, Mike Jeffries. Yeah, yeah. Mike Jeffries, though, is considered like a mad genius because he had this vision for the brand, Abercrombie & Fitch, to not appeal to hunter dudes, you know. Middle. It wasn't Bass Pro Shop. It wasn't going to be, yeah. It wasn't going to be a, a hunting type fishing nature store. But he wanted to utilize the heritage of the brand which felt very Americana, super American. So that fishing, canoes, rugby, that was rooted in the heritage of the brand for sure. And if you look at early pictures of the storefronts, it kind of looked like that. It looked like a Bass Pro, kind of like a utility type shop, you know, and it was higher end even then though, like good yeah. leather goods, that sort of thing. So he took that whole, I guess, business idea, that whole feeling, that concept and then made it all about younger people, though. Yeah, Sorry. it was like a millennial Ralph Lauren. But a, a Ralph Lauren that was hot, yeah, young, and very sexual. Ooh. And provocative. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. If you think back to these campaigns, they were so provocative. I mean, the shirtless guys. There was a whole subsidiary part of this whole entire Abercrombie and Fitch story that they were huge in the gay community. I remember like just seeing the stuff. I was like, wow, that's like super gay. And this is incredible. There was underlying gay tones. And we should say that the CEO both are gay men. Yeah. And I guess too, talking about like how it went over the head of the audience. I had no idea. I mean, I was just overwhelmed by like the atmosphere, these like strong men. I'm like- I, Built like Adonis. Yeah, like Greek gods. And I'm over here with my like zero pack, <laughs> just walking in there. It was overwhelming. With your Kirkland pants. Yeah. Yeah, it was over the top in the way that they were marketing this brand. Like it was, it had never really been seen before for that, especially for that specific audience of teenagers. And so it was interesting because these beautiful photos, these campaigns, that is what really sold the brand. And Mike Jeffries had a big part in it, of course, because he had that idea of, like he said in the employee handbooks, he wants everything to be American, simple, 
and classic. Oh yeah. American simple and classic. That's what it was. But the real creative head behind Abercrombie and Fitch, we have to talk about Bruce Weber, the photographer. He's a big deal. Bruce Weber has been in the industry for years. I've never worked with him directly, uh, but he's, he's been a photographer since the seventies. He took off in the eighties and the nineties is when he really flourished in the two thousands. huge. I mean, everyone in the modeling industry knew and wanted to work with Bruce Bruce Weber. Weber. Yeah, he's a very specific type of photography. It's very lifestyle. Yeah. And he's done Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren, of course, Abercrombie and Fitch, Versace. He's done Revlon ads. And so he's just known for taking these beautiful photographs. He's known for having his models just kind of live in the moment and he'd observe them and then take random photos and as he's observing them doing. Okay, but Lo, I have a question. Yeah. Are dicks and nipples... American classic and simple. Where am I missing the there were no connection? And, there were no, it was implied. Almost. Um, yeah. Almost. Pubic hair is very American. Sure. Whew. Yeah. Pubic bone showing all that. Like, yeah. I mean, there was at one point a whole booklet that was like covered like a porn magazine. You could, it had black Straight on it. Straight up porn. It was, it was yeah. Like, yeah. That's how a lot of parents looked at it. Like it was porn. And they were selling it to teenagers. Now, and if you think about it in retrospect, kind of creepy. Yeah. Like these are young people, teenagers. They were implying that they were underage. They were all of age. All the but models they were, were of implying age. that they were underage, engaging in very like risky sexual behavior. Of like risky men. sexual behavior. I well, think of having sex without a condom. Okay. Maybe they that's were just wrong. playing rugby well, like, uh, and greasing each other up. That's it was true. like, it looked like gay porn. Well, right. But I'm saying like risky as far as like, if I'm 17, like in around five men, all with no pants on, <laughs> that's what their ads were. Yeah. It would be like one girl and then all these guys naked in like a lake. Yeah. Naked in a lake. Wet. Yeah. That's, that was one of their ads for sure. And the, the fragrance was just the torso picture. There was these guys that would be shirtless at the front of the store, greased up in Abercrombie and Fitch jeans or board shorts and shirtless and like the Abercrombie models. And so this very specific look of clean cut, all American, very natural, not heavy makeup, bronzy skin, super tan, not too tan. Let's make sure we're very <laughs> correct on the brown here because <laughs> more orange than brown more orange than brown and uh and they wanted very good the, the most popular kids in school they wanted the hot the hottest kids in the class yeah. to be the Abercrombie customer and they were very adamant that that was their customer and they would do anything to achieve that and making sure like everyone stayed in line i mean they even recruited their models from the middle of nowhere yeah. in college towns. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started seeing a little bit more of your scalp? Has menopause impacted your hormones and your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted whole-body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over one million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. 
I'm excited to have Nutrafol as a sponsor because I use it. I love it. I'm a big fan of this company. I've noticed a big difference in my skin, nails, hair. Even my sleep has improved since I started taking this. Now I have the queen taking it too, and it has been a game changer for her hair. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LOWLIFE. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code LOWLIFE. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code LOWLIFE. I'm all about leveling up with my lowlifers this year. As a fashion stylist, the first place I want to start, of course, is leveling up your closet. But I don't want you to break the bank. You don't got to spend a lot of money, honey. Design on a dime, boo. You can still elevate your closet on a budget. We want you to save some money here. So I'm happy to have Quince as a sponsor. They are here for us. They're going to take good care of us. At Quince, I get high-end, versatile pieces at affordable prices. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Oh, they're amazing. I bought these beautiful silk pillowcases for my bed. I got a cute jacket, a cozy cashmere cardigan, and navy blue joggers I'm obsessed with. These are staple pieces for my closet that will not go out of style. And I was able to save some money. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash lowlife for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash lowlife to get free shipping and 365-day returns, quince.com slash lowlife. I love me a good edible moment. I talk about it all the time on this show. And so I was so excited that Via became a sponsor of the Low Life Podcast. Oh, this is a dream partnership because I love their edibles. They're so delicious. And they're coming on right in time for Valentine's Day. Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. We're talking about pairing aphrodisiac herbs with a mild amount of THC. Their best-selling High Love gummy will awaken your senses, increases the blood flow, and intensifies any sexual experience, even if it's a solo experience. It's going to be amazing with this gummy. The strawberry-flavored one is my favorite. They're vegan. Organic ingredients are used. They have zero THC products as well. So if you're not down for THC, that's okay, boo. Their CBD line is amazing too, which is really great for sleep, focus, and energy. Their products range from 2 milligrams to 50 milligrams of THC, so there's definitely something for everybody. My favorite part about this sponsor is that they ship to all 50 states legally with discreet packaging directly to your door. It makes it so easy breezy for you. No medical card required. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code LOWLIFE to receive 15% off plus one free sample of their Sleepy Dreams gummies. 21 and over. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com and use code LOWLIFE at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. Shooting with Bruce Weber I've talked to friends about it. They've been on shoots with him and it can get a bit creepy. So Bruce Weber is this Titan in the photography world. So he would have these shoots where they would basically go to the mountains. Sometimes they go to like Mexico or Brazil. Weren't they exotic shoots? Some of them, they had a huge budget. Some of them, a lot of them were actually in Miami. Oh, okay. Because you get a lot of different things in Miami. I love when they were describing these young jocks would be dropped off from Nebraska. From Nebraska and God knows where at these photo shoots. 
And how Bruce liked to work was you guys just do your thing. You can, you know, play games, throw the football around, do some push up, do whatever you want. And he just goes around with his camera and starts to shoot, 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 shoot to get these type of action shots. And every, all the models knew that. And so in the documentary, they're talking about how like guys would be like doing like push ups on the cement or like, you know, hanging from a tree, but like posing all sexy while they're hanging from the tree. <laughs> like all, they would like try and do stuff intentionally because if you did something that Bruce thought was like, oh, that's perfect for Abercrombie, he'd go and start snapping you, start shooting you. And so I guess guys were upping the ante. So did they end up getting naked and playing in the mud? Sure. Little rugby moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so these homoerotic ads came out, but Bruce Weber was gay and so was the CEO. Why do I always forget Alleged. Allegedly. Okay, sure. I don't want to get well, sued. Well, they, because Mike Jeffries had like a wife and kids and oh, then right. they brought, he supposedly brought on a, his flame or mister, but no one ever, they never really dove into that. Oh, they the, kind of slid by that subject of he brought someone on their staff that was like his side piece, and yeah. then they just blew right past it. They slid by a lot of things in this documentary. Yeah. This brand is riddled in controversy. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much. The fact that like their Abercrombie and Kids line, they didn't even touch on that. But Which they, is crazy. So the reason why that was a big deal, controversial, was because they were marketing these swimsuits to kids. And I mean, we're talking young kids, like Abercrombie Kids like, was for 12 and under type of a thing, yeah. right? And so the swimsuits were like little thong bathing suits that also were marketing thongs oh. and like string bikinis. And it was just very sexual sexual for children. It's If you look back at it, you're like, geez. And so they got a lot of backlash for that. They also, there was another thing that they didn't touch on in the documentary. Thongs. The they were thongs. selling thongs to young women, which didn't feel appropriate at the time. Teen, they were, yeah, really promoting wearing thongs for teenagers. Which really tells about like the time that we lived in back then. Like all that stuff was new. If something like that happened, like, I don't know, Justice or they have Victoria's Secret Pink that technically is marketed towards young women and yeah. there's thongs, it's not an issue. But, you know, in... 2013, this was kind of the first anyone saw of sexualizing like younger women with thongs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thong song was all over the radio. The thong, oh my thong, God. Thong, that was my Cisco. like first concert with Cisco and NSYNC. Wow. I thought the thong song was about sandals. Oh my God. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. No. Let me see that Abercrombie and Fitch was a high price point here in the States, but when their numbers started to tank after all these lawsuits and stuff, it was not a good press moment for them. And the sales were reflecting that. And so they ended up taking a lot of their stores and focusing all of their marketing efforts overseas in China and other parts of the world and charging way more. So here in the States, a shirt, a t-shirt would be 50. It would be about $120 for a t-shirt. Disgusting. Anywhere else. So it was a very high-end elevated brand around the world. It still is. If you go to certain, I've I've seen it, that it's still a big deal. Yeah. In other parts of the world, they still love some Abercrombie and Fitch. Those are the things that they left out, but they definitely touched on discrimination. That was, I feel like they're 
main point was the discrimination. Yeah, for sure. And it was obvious. Exclusionary marketing, Abercrombie was not for everybody. And they were actually very proud to say that. Yeah. Which I think back then was okay. It was okay to be exclusive. You wanted to feel exclusive. Now, if you say that as a brand, it's like, what's wrong with you? There's a culture shift. Very much so. People don't want to feel excluded. We all are part of this world and we should all be included. What the hell? So there's a big paradigm shift. It's crazy to think that as millennials and anyone listening to this right now, based on the marketing campaigns, the stores, the TV that we were watching, what we were consuming, I'm shocked that one, we're all okay right now. Maybe we're not. I don't think we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but also like eating disorders, body dysmorphia. Like there's a lot of terrible things that were so mainstream that seemed completely okay. We really soaked a lot in as kids. And I don't think we're, I think we're just now starting to really understand. Yeah, like understand like, oh, that wasn't good. Like That even probably wasn't good for my psyche to watch, binge watch shows like The Swan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Loved it. Do you guys remember The Swan? I do. Yeah. Well, we've watched I it together. Yeah, we had a throwback the moment. Swan. But that is how twisted I am of like- It was a great show, but the concept back at is things, so terrible. Yeah. Let, let's cut you up and see if you feel better about yourself. They'll take someone, for anyone listening who has no idea what we're talking about, The Swan was a show on Fox that took an ugly duckling. Someone, by the way, they say ugly duckling. This was just a person who- Maybe had rotted teeth. Yes, or didn't look like a supermodel, but they were like normal looking people. Yeah. They capitalized on insecurity and vulnerability and came up with this concept of taking these people. Let's imagine just pitching this idea. Let's get a bunch of insecure people who don't feel good about themselves, have very low Mm self-esteem. Let's give them a ton of plastic surgery, chop them up, cut them, nip, tuck, suck, and pluck. Give them all new hair, new chiclets for chompers. Give them (laughs) a spray tan, stick them in a bandage dress. And then not let them see any of the recovery process. No mirrors, no nothing. No mirrors while they're recovering. And it's weeks, sometimes months of painful recovery. Because these procedures weren't just like going and getting Botox. Oh, no. It was like full on like mommy, what we would call a mommy job. Like lifting, tucking, stuffing, facelifts, everything. Yeah, liposuction. So there is a lot of recovery process with that. Even just going and getting dental implants, which a lot of these people had full-blown hillbilly teeth. And so going to get their mouths redone. Oh my gosh. Um, Mountain Dew mouth. Mountain Dew. Oh my God. I just learned what Mountain Dew mouth is. Lexi over here, who has all of her I, teeth right now. Barely. Barely. She's also drinking a flaming hot Mountain Dew. That's an actual flavor. Yeah. Of, <laughs> yeah. It's an actual flavor of Mountain Dew that Lexi loves to drink. I love it. Flaming hot Cheeto flavored Mountain Dew and she found it in the back of a Walmart or where did she get uh, this? Ralph's. Ralph's. I'm classy. It's <laughs> Ralph's. Yeah. This is a limited edition flavor. <laughs> That's Lexi's vice. She doesn't do drugs. Nope. She's not a big drinker. No. Doesn't even smoke pot. She doesn't take an edible, but she does love her. A good ice Mountain cold Dew. Mountain Dew. When she's feeling stressed, yeah. you'll see her with a Mountain Dew. That's yeah. going to be my downfall. <laughs> Mountain yeah. Dew. Yeah. Drinking gasoline. <laughs> But their idea was to take these people, completely change their appearance, not let them see any mirrors or any take any photos or anything, 
have big unveiling to show them what they now look like with all of their friends and family surrounding them as they see this Ugh. unveiling. They did have a psychologist. They needed one. There that would kind of help them through the process, yeah. which I don't think did much. Those psychologists were paid from the producers. So I hope they got therapy after. Because that has to be. They were going to be. need it. Because it wasn't one thing just to un- do the unveiling. Then the best looking people of all the plastic surgery swans that came out of this had to then compete <laughs> on a stage <sighs> where they were judged by a panel. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that so is so f***ed up. And it's that so was like the tippy top tier of our culture and prime time Friday yeah. nights with the family. Let's all watch the swan. Yeah. Ooh. And if I miss the swan, damn it. That's okay. Cause I'll watch extreme makeover oh, yeah. home makeover. But that was after the, oh, I cried every episode when they moved that bus. I cried. Oh, with the home. See extreme yeah. home makeover. I can get behind that. That's sweet. It was no. Extreme Makeover Face Edition. Yeah. That was another type of show. I think they were all dark in their own respects. Sure. Ooh, yeah. we need to do a, a podcast about that. Television, yeah, and how it's ruined society. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the dark side of all these like home or like makeover shows. The amount of makeover shows. Everyone wanted to be something they weren't. In early 2000s. Yeah. If you think about the celebrities that were the biggest deal, Paris Hilton. That's hot. But even she had Simple Life where she had to be someone she wasn't. Yeah. Well, I don't think she had to be something she wasn't. They dropped her in as like a Hollywood hotel heiress. They dropped her in who's the music star that she stayed with? Kesha. Kesha's family. Oh, I didn't know that. Did you know that? No. Yeah. That was Kesha's family. What are you talking about? She stayed Kesha before she was Kesha. That was her family that she did the simple life with. Really? Yeah. The hillbillies? Yeah. Well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. They were like (laughs) small town country folk. Yeah. That was Kesha's- Family. Was Kesha in Simple Life? Yeah. Hold on. My mind is blown. What? Yeah. Kesha the singer. Yes. Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie went to Kesha's family house. Yes, and stayed <laughs> with them. I didn't know that. A little pop culture history. Had no idea. So We're going to have our historian look it up now. We have our fact checker and on-site historian, low-life historian, Jacob, looking into this. We're fact checking. Show us the receipts. It is confirmed. Wow. Okay. Thank you. And Kesha was probably very young at the time. Yeah. She was like, uh, what, 13? Damn. She's a teenager. Millennial fun fact. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, that's, I mean, good for her. I mean, just to know that Kesha came from a small town and ended up becoming a huge singer, that's exciting. But that was the television. Those were the type of celebrities we were idolizing and loved at the time. Oh, remember that hot dude from 10 Things I Hate About You? Or was it 10 Things I Hate About You? That was Heath he, Ledger. Oh, but there was another one. Josh Hartnett. Yeah. What happened to Josh Hartnett? Where is he? I don't know. He was a big deal, like huge. And Ashton Kutcher. Oh, yeah. It was like that trifecta. Ashton Kutcher, Josh Hartnett. Which I think they were Abercrombie models. They were. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Full circle. Is your New Year's resolution to find time-saving solutions so you can spend less time doing things like grocery shopping and more time with your little one? As a busy parent, I'm always looking for products and brands that will make my life easier. 
What is one change that's easy to make that will make your life easier in 2024? Little Spoon. Little Spoon delivers fresh, healthy meals and snacks that your kiddo will love for every eating stage. Little Spoon is a one-stop shop for healthy, easy mealtime and snack time for your baby, toddler, and big kid, delivered right to your door. Their goal is to make keeping your kid healthy feel like the easiest part of your day so that you can cut through all the drama of mealtime. Time-saving and convenient without compromise. Little Spoon delivers baby blends, biteables, plates, smoothies, snacks, and lunchers. Kids love it, and you will too. It's all so fresh, so delicious, and made with the cleanest, high-quality ingredients. Did I mention it all comes right to my door? So flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. I pick the menu and change it up what I order every time. The price is right, the quality is unmatched. I love it, my kids love it, the grandparents love it, and I know all you lowlifers will love it too. A huge win-win-win for my family, and it can also be for yours. Simplify your kiddo's mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash lowlife and enter our code lowlife at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Who else was an Abercrombie model? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Heidi Klum. January Jones. Wow. Yeah, and they were obviously much younger then, but yeah. they all fit that Abercrombie aesthetic. American, blonde hair, blue eyes, tan skin, very effortless, not a lot of makeup. Oh, the private plane. That's some crazy shit. The private plane the, that Mike Jeffries, the Abercrombie and Fitch private jet. Oh my God, there's lawsuits going on with that too. Really? Oh yeah. To this day, um, there's still lawsuits? <laughs> probably. Yeah. I mean, they had, I think it was a 46 page manual for the flight crew of everything down to how the towels were folded in the bathrooms. There was like 12 magazines that had to be in a specific order and they had to remove all of like the inserts that are in the magazines. Like sometimes it's oh, the no cologne, ads. no ads, the things that fall out, yeah. there, everything had to be removed. Well, that makes it convenient. Um, I think it's like 10 newspapers, all of like the ads removed. See, that stuff's not weird to me. That's like a, a writer. Well, then it gets, it gets weirder. Wait, wait, what's a writer? A writer, like, a, okay, a celebrity writer. For anyone out there who doesn't know what a writer is, oh, that's that's LA industry talk. Damn, I've been in this damn business too long. But a writer is what a celebrity talent will send over to, if they're going to perform somewhere, they're going to do a movie, that's going to be in their trailer or their dressing room. So you send over your business manager, or your agent will send over your writer. For example, like J-Lo, these writers become pretty public too. Sometimes they'll leak them. But J-Lo's writer was leaked one time and it was everything in her dressing room had to be white. She needed to have fresh cut hydrangeas and lilies. She needed to have a very specific candle that was like a $150 candle, a specific champagne. Uh, down to, I think it was, she needed Le Mer skincare in her dressing room before she arrived. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. So her writer could have been, you know, 2000 3000 $10,000, who knows? P. Diddy, he had to have his vodka in his dressing room. You were telling me about a writer one time, Jacob. Yes, so Ludacris would demand to have like specific condoms, like specific, um, I think it's Hennessy. Like he had a full list of items he needed at every show in his, in his dressing room. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely more crazy things than that. It, yeah, he was specific, but like the all-white J-Lo sitch. Then you hear about celebrities that just have, you know, I want a vegetable platter and some Evian water. 
Well, so it takes us to the airplane. He had a specific dress code. This was this was crazy to me. The air crew, apart from like the pilots, they weren't like hired from, you know, like a Delta or American Airlines. An they aviation mo- company? A model agency. What? They were models. Models were the people working inside of the airplane. Love it. There is no freaking way I'm going to hop on a plane with no training to like serve you drinks. I'm sure they ended up training them though. Well, there was a 46 page manual down to every single, they didn't like to see fingerprints, the direction they vacuumed the airplane, how many times they had to spray with the cologne as well. That was- oh, so it had to smell like Had fierce. to smell like it. There's some reports that say the guys had to wear underwear and flip-flops only <laughs> and polos. <laughs> I don't know how accurate. Would you guys do it? Would you go? Would I go and serve my Jeffries, Jeffries in, in your my underwear, underwear and flip flops? If the paycheck was right and I was in a vulnerable point in my life, sure would. For $2,500. Absolutely not. I would do it for 25 bottles of Fierce. I sure would. You know what? <laughs> I would. <laughs> Wouldn't say no to it. 21-year-old low? Of course I would. I'd do it for a freaking Chipotle gift card and yeah, a few bottles of fears. Well, he's like Leonardo DiCaprio. 25, you're too old. That Yeah. So I would <laughs> 23, only be, you're too old. I would have to be, yeah, 21 and under. So the flight attendants were all good-looking dudes. Yes. Uh, yeah. And had their specific Abercrombie uniform. The pilots... They were also, I assume, had to be good looking. Young. Young. So the lawsuit, pilots. the lawsuit was a pilot and he was fired because he was too old for the look of Age the plane. Age discrimination. Yeah. So he sued. And this is kind of how that 40 page manual came to the public eye. Wait. So I have a question. Yeah. Now that I know what a writer is, mm-hmm. what would be your writers? Ooh. What would be on my writer? How cool to get to a point where you actually have a writer. A part of me thinks if I were to, I hope, because there's some rich people and they just become a bit weird. A part of me thinks if I got super rich like that, that I'd probably get really eccentric and weird too. Name one thing you would have on your rider. Takis. I got to have a king size bag of Taki chips on my rider. I'd like to have Evian water too, chilled. Also a sparkling water. I want options. Okay. Crystal Jake. light as well. I'm not done with my rider. Oh, okay. Fresh cut flowers. What kind of flowers? I want white lilies and I don't want them to be closed. They need to be open before I f-ing get in the Ooh. dressing room. <laughs> I want them full. We're talking about a plane though. Oh, shit. Sorry. I still uh, want you, that too. You, okay. I want them. I want some pirate's booty. I enjoyed some snacks, maybe some Cheez-Its. Okay. Oh, like a, a Snuggie. I want a freshly washed Snuggie. What's the flight crew wardrobe? Naked. I want them all. Wait, <laughs> like G strings. Okay. Harnesses I was gonna ask with if leashes like, that I'm holding the end oh, of the gosh. <laughs> the, the pilots have leashes. Yeah, like freaking <laughs> sex dogs. Oh. oh speed up, Skippy. Yeah, that's where I'm going with it. I would do themes. Every time I flew, it would be oh. like a theme party. Talk about eccentric people yes. that get weird with money. There you Jacob's go. one of those people. Yes. They would all have like costumes and afros and I don't know, like weird, weird stuff. <laughs> soul plane, basically. Yeah. Soul plane. It would be Elvis outfits with afro puffs. I'm into it. 
Yeah, okay. So my rider's basically a bunch of snacks and cute, cozy sweats. Oh, and I'd like to have white lilies, some white roses. Make sure that there's a speaker there. I want Selena playing as I come onto the plane. I want Bitty Bitty Bomb Bomb as I exit. Make sure that's being played. Also, I'd have to say the inside interior of the plane. I'd like it to be all different shades of either like a blue or my favorite color is purple. Ooh. So I want like lavender, lilacs, you know, like all that. gold fixtures, over the top gaudy, like I'm a Siberian prince. Yeah. Apparently Beyonce would have to have a new toilet seat brought in every time she came in. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And red toilet paper. Are you serious? I feel like that would like dye your butthole. Wait, is that really something? Beyonce has red toilet paper. I'm pretty sure her writer... I've never even seen red toilet paper. Well, you're not Beyonce. <laughs> is that a thing? If you're Beyonce. Okay, Jacob, what is on your writer? One thing, at least one thing. Well, I'm going to definitely have some weed on board. Yeah, fresh cannabis yep. from California. Yep, some, some pre-rolled, maybe some edibles. You know, I'm not really picky. You love Just, snacks. Though. I love snacks. Love food. I'm gonna some Thai food. If I could have some <laughs> like Stinky. maybe if yeah, I actually might stink it up. Maybe <laughs> not Thai food. Yeah, maybe we'll just stick with some sushi. Freaking curry on the plane, Freaking some pad CU noodles. A sushi chef. I want a sushi chef. Oh, my, that's on my flight. I love that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Oh my god, making hand rolls for you in while the back? you go. Yeah. That's incredible. Right next to the toilet. Just hand mm. roll station. I'm down for like a Nobu sushi, even if it's just a platter on the plane for me. Ooh. That would be awesome. Hit me, Lexi, with your rider. I have like two strong ones. Okay. Mountain Dew. Gallons I need a Mountain Dew. Any specific flavor? Lime Wire. It's orange. Isn't that a internet site? Maybe, but it's a very good Mountain Dew flavor. And I need all the stewardess, because girl power, all ladies. We need to be wearing sweatpants, Hanes, Walmart, $10 sweatpants. I need you to be cozy and I need you to like just be chill. Yeah. That's my only thing. That's like, all I want. Don't bother me. Don't work. I'll probably be sleeping because I'm a scary flyer. Yeah, So like, nervous. let's chill. No, I definitely want people to be on their game, like working. Like, hey, no. I need a refill here. No. <laughs> like hang out and talk to me. Like, oh, like, really? Let's like watch a movie together. They're strangers though. So we could be friends. Oh, you're a fun celebrity. You're a, f a nice one. I think I would hope so. Maybe one day. I think I would be nice too, but I definitely wouldn't want to be like watching movies with the people on the plane that are supposed to be working. No, you know what? <laughs> I feel like if you are going to have a good time, you need everyone else around you to have a good time. It's a big party. Yeah. Like if you're nice, they'll be nice. And then we can all be friends. And Only then female be pilots on your plane. Well, I didn't say pilots. I just said like the people, like stewardess, like the people that I'm going to be around all the time. Yeah. If I'm taking like a flight to New York, I want like a girl gang with me. Oh, I love that. This guy, Mike Jeffries, has his very particular, very pristine list of things that he definitely doesn't want to deviate from. All the stores look like that. But what started to happen is, as the culture shifted, as social media happened, people were starting to see that, you know what, this exclusionary type of a brand that doesn't want Asians being represented, that doesn't have Latinos, black people, any people of and color. And making for that fun matter. of them on their t shirts. Oh, that was rough too. 
Yeah. Uh, they Not were great. saying though that there was this one very controversial t-shirt. Remember the screen printed tees? A lot of people oh, wore them. Yeah. I had a bunch of them, but they would say just random slogans and they were pumping these out. So many different styles, like thousands of screen printed tees because they made a lot of money for the store. The profit margin was crazy. 85% or something yeah. crazy, like a hundred percent markup. Ridiculous. But to get one of the shirts, that was a good introduction to the brand. I remember thinking that. I can't afford the jeans. I can't buy a jacket. I don't have $300 for a jacket or $150 for jeans. But I could possibly, if I beg my mom, I could afford a $45 t-shirt. That I would wear every week. Every single (laughs) Every Tuesday. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love they were all stretchy. They like hugged my body. They had really great material. I will say that about Abercrombie. I'm no. It was cotton. like the softest it cotton. Yeah, it was. Okay, they it got the best cotton from great. these little child labor factories. That's probably right. My but God, it felt great on my chafed skin. Yeah. And so, uh, these shirts. One was very problematic, and they bring it up in the documentary. The yeah. two Wongs make it white. Oof, that made me cringe. That was very cringe. I mean. These shirts, and there were so many different other ones that were basically making fun of different races. They were very Everyone took a hit. Everybody took a hit, yeah, at Abercrombie & Fitch. If you had anything that could possibly not be in their exact, specific, simple, classic American look. If you deviated, deviated from, from the formula. If you were in a wheelchair, if you were Asian- If you were a different size that wasn't a zero two, like tiny person, then you were not. You were not it. That was you were taking a hit on a t shirt or in hiring (laughs) practices. Yeah, and they had this campus where they would send people Abercrombie employees. This is where corporate would meet up. This is where they would have their design meetings and stuff. And the campus, a lot of people work there, and it was supposed to be like a dream job, but. They had it kind of feeling like a sorority, fraternity, college life. It was a cool people job. But they were overworked, weren't paid very well. It was all-nighters. They were having all-nighters. Yeah. And it's encouraging using the, hang out with your friends. Yeah. They would have pictures, Polaroids of like, it looked like we're all hanging out. Summer camp, 13th grade. A lot of people were hooking up. They had bonfires, drinking. Not in Ohio. I've seen the gene pool there. Sure. I don't know if they were flying people in for these campus adventures at the Abercrombie and Fitch headquarters, but they were not compensating their employees enough. No. They were taking advantage of their employees, their customers. It just wasn't a good brand. And we idolized this brand and put it on a pedestal for so many years. Yeah. And I'm realizing, shit, it wasn't that bad. You know who got it right, though, which I was actually surprised? American Eagle. You know what? They've never really had anything. I'm sure they've had some lawsuits in their day, but Maybe. like when it comes to inclusivity, American Eagle, you could see black people, Puerto Rican, Asian, just different colors, yeah. colors of Benetton. Gap was pretty diverse in their hiring, but there was one woman who said that she was born without an arm okay. and she went to apply to Abercrombie & Fitch and she ended up filing a lawsuit. Ugh. She was not even considered for the job. And I forgot how she found out why, but a lawsuit happens. I don't know if she won or not. The one power Middle Eastern woman, I loved her. She went in for an Abercrombie interview with a hijab on. Yeah. Again, that wasn't part of the brand. They try to blame it on her wearing black. 
which is like a bullshit excuse. They had two excuses. One, she was wearing black and that was part of the Abercrombie aesthetic. No black people or- um, But like navy's okay, but black's not. No, no black clothing. Ugh. I'm just saying like, it's the same color, kind of. Sure. But the real reason behind it was they didn't want her wearing a hijab. And even when she came back with, well, then I can get a different colored one. They have different colored ones. They said, well, no, it's the equivalent to like, we don't allow baseball caps. It's like wearing a hat. She's like, it's a very different thing. But that was their argument. And so every time they would be sued by all these different employees, there was a huge class action lawsuit by a bunch of employees. They talk about it. That was the main crux of this documentary is talking about all the lawsuits and controversy around the brand, specifically when it came to race relations, but this huge class action lawsuit and Abercrombie pretty much stood their ground and was like, yeah, we're not hiring you guys. Yeah. (laughs) It's a you problem. It's not an us problem. It's not an us problem. Our brand is a specific look and they tried to take the race out of it and just made it all around American, but even when they tried to like put limitations of, hey, you need to do these things to be better, they always weaseled their way around it somehow. Right. They never took it seriously. And right. that's why they kept getting in trouble. They ended up hiring a diversity director, someone who was in charge of trying to make sure that there was no longer an inequity in the type of people that were hired. But yeah. that's when they started to notice. That's when they showed the corporate video and noticed that the people of color were just working in the back and that sort of thing. The models they were using were all of a particular race right. that happened to be what? Caucasian? Blanco. Blanco. <laughs> yeah. And so now the brand isn't what it used to be. No, they have a female CEO, which is and, clap, clap, clap. And so the brand has gone through an entire rebranding. Whatever happened to Jeff... He disappeared. He's gone. Yeah. He just left. He went into He went into hiding. hiding, Yeah. And so now the brand is still trying to make a comeback. I don't think people are into it. Um, speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) My God. After all that. Look, I like the way their jeans fit now. They have a great curvy glove fit. Really? Oh, you're selling it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? Like modern day 2022 Abercrombie and Fitch, you like their denim. I do. Oh, okay. Is it still a really it, high price point? Like 150 dollars They always jeans? have a sale and I'm a girl. I have a weakness for a good sale. So you can get it, what, 50% off sometimes, 20%? Oh, not, yeah, like 30. How much 30, do, the, do you 25. know how much the jeans go for now? I don't know, but I just got a pair of shorts for 45 Okay. It's still a higher price point, but I think they've pivoted their marketing and their whole vibe. It's a lot more accepting and... There's still a little bit of like, mm, I'm not going to talk to you in the store. Sure. But like, I like their fit. And so I'll just buy online. Yeah. I'm just not going to buy that shit anymore. There's other brands, Lex. I'll send you links. Okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe they're trying to turn it around. I don't know. I always they're try trying to give, to be inclusive, you know what? I try but, to give everybody a chance. But they're Everyone even on this can, whole like gay campaign and yeah. inclusivity. And I'm like, you're doing that. And you're changing your marketing angle, but it's what? Just to sell a V-neck? That's true, but who is not? Everyone is trying to capitalize on everything right now. On diversity. On, on a movement. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. There's a lot of memes about when June hits, it's pride. Oh, yeah, and, everyone oh, has a rainbow. Everybody has a rainbow that's ranking the money and get the gays in here. And then as soon as it's over, you guys get your asses back in the closet. We got a yeah. business to run over yeah. here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's give our money to yeah. every hateful person we Let's can. Give, yeah, some homophobes <laughs> yeah. in our, our corporate meetings. Our board of directors is a bunch of homophobes. Ugh. So that's unfortunate. Race people exist in every industry. We're talking about the retail market right now. Yeah. They're trying to turn it around. I'm glad they have some comfy jeans that fit you great. <laughs> you love them. But I'm not into the brand. I used to love it. But it also kind of goes to show the culture shift, which I think is great for the young generation. Yeah. We grew up at a time when everything was about exclusivity. You had to be in the know sort of a thing. Mean Girls is such a cult classic. It's a huge movie. People yeah. still quote it. Love it to this day. Gina, you're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. So? So that's against the rules and you can't sit with us. But that movie is kind of what we grew up in. Mean yeah. Girls. If you think about it. Was it was cool to be mean. It was cool to be mean. Which I do not believe in now. I'm not but subscribing <laughs> to that. Yeah, no, no. Asterisk, asterisk. But back then, it was such a different To have time. a click, to have a crew, yeah. to be one of the popular ones, to look hot, yeah. to kind of all look the same. Yeah. You don't want to be different. You want to be like everyone else. And I get that. They're playing up on, especially then, we all just want to fit in. Yeah. And so that was an opportunity for us to, we could all be bonded through this homoerotic racist brand named Abercrombie and Fitch yep. and we could be cute with our rugby tees. Yeah. A size zero. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, oh, that was the other thing. Size inclusivity. If you even wanted to buy Abercrombie Fitch, you had to be a specific size because they didn't you carry. I think you had to be like a size six. That was like their biggest Oh, it's insane. Size. It's ridiculous. Because even like their size zero or two, it looked like it was for- Was a child's 14, 12. <laughs> was a child's 14, 12. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. My God. Yeah. I just look back at that time and I'm like, okay, exclusivity was the vibe for the millennials. Yeah. And now the new generation, it's all about inclusivity. And I'm glad the tide has turned. Yeah. There's and a new I'm leaf. glad there's documentaries like this to show younger people like learn from us. It's yeah. not cool to be like this. No, I think they're also saying like, that's not cool. They no. don't want to yeah. be like that. They, now being an individualist, being unique, being different is what makes you cool. You being weird is so celebrated now on Absolutely. TikTok and Instagram and just being a bit different. Yeah. I think that makes you special. That's your sparkle is in something different about you. And that different could be anything. You identify sexually or if you're proud of where you came from, your ethnicity, you, you know, that sort of thing. I think it's all welcome now, which is kind of a nice place. You I know? love it. Sometimes we take a few steps back and start, there's still some problematic television and Hollywood is yeah. still a bit behind, yeah. but we're trying to move forward. Absolutely. That's, I think we're all trying to go in the right direction here. It's a group effort. It's a group project. It'll come one day, I'm hoping. Yeah. But in our lifetime, probably not. Everything takes time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Low Life Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to have Jacob and Lexi back on the podcast. We're going to do more deep dives. Jacob loves a good cult documentary. Lexi loves a good serial killer moment. And so <laughs> I'll have both of them back at some point to talk about some great shows we could recommend for the low lifers. I also have another episode coming up for the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial. Love the feedback I got back from that episode. 
I didn't know what to expect because those were new waters I was exploring on this podcast, throwing on my journalism pants, investigative reporter type pantalones, and giving you an episode covering a trial that's happening right now. That was new territory for me, but I'm glad you guys loved it. And so I'll be going back into the courtroom with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard to give you the late breaking news. I'm going to do a part two, maybe even a part three. She's going to be testifying cross-examination wise next week. And so I'll definitely be taking my notes and going down the rabbit hole. So stay tuned for a part two and potentially part three of the Amber Heard Johnny Depp Toxic Relationship Hot Mess Express. I'm loving doing this podcast. I'm having so much fun with it. And I'm so freaking grateful to have this incredible community of people. This is a podcast that started out with what, like seven listeners? <laughs> you know, like it's crazy to know that we have over a million downloads now. We have this beautiful community that we've built. I'm thankful for the little low life Facebook group. And this podcast would be nothing without you. Really, though, the listener is just as much a part of the show as I am. We would have no Low Life podcast if it weren't for you, the Low Life listener. So thank you so much for taking the time to rate, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. There are millions of podcasts out there. There are thousands that launch into the universe every single day. So you taking the time to be here with me at the Low Life podcast, it means a lot. And I will never take you for granted as a listener. That's why a big part of my mission for this show is to make sure I'm not wasting anybody's time here. I want you to always get something from each and every single episode, even if it's just a smile, a new perspective, learning about something you didn't know about before. There has to be a takeaway because I don't want to waste your time and I want to make sure you know how valued you are as a listener. I'm going to keep putting out shows. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm loving putting out these shows. There's a lot of production that goes behind every single episode, a lot of time and effort. But the best way you can support an up-and-coming little shit show like the Low Life Podcast is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It's so impactful. It really makes a big difference. It helps with the algorithm. It helps with sponsorships. It helps to keep your podcast relevant. Of course, sharing it with your friends, family, your loved ones, that is a game changer too. But really helping the numbers, the analytics, the algorithm on iTunes is by taking the time to leave that review on Apple Podcasts. And so I want to say thank you to each and every single person who have taken the time to leave a thoughtful review. And these reviews can be anything you want them to be. You can leave a little dick emoji, a salsa dancer, a tamale or two, a unicorn, or you could actually write a message. The more, the better. And again, they are so welcomed, so appreciated. I read each and every single review, and I want to show my gratitude with my number one love language, which is gifts. I love receiving gifts, and I love to give them as well. So the Low Life Gifting Suite is open right now. It's open as long as I have money in my checking account. <laughs> so <laughs> until I declare bankruptcy, the Low Life Gifting Suite will be open for business. What I'm doing is putting together these gift packages. I'm sending them out to listeners who take the time to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And in the gifting closet, there's hyaluronic serums. There's gifts from our sponsors, gift cards. Shit you didn't know you need from Amazon. All my favorite goodies, including Trashy Sangria. So if you want a chance to win a little something something, then all you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts and make sure you put your Instagram handle somewhere in the review so I could find you on Instagram and I might just be sliding into your DMs. I'm going to shout out a few listeners who have taken the time to leave a review. First one coming in hot is from Kelsey Collins. Kelsey Collins writes... Yes, Queen. Yes, with five stars. I love every single episode, but the ones with the Queen are seriously the best. 
She is so wise, and I wish she was my mom. Oh, I am so thankful that she comes on the show with her parenting advice. As a mom of two, she has helped me so much in how to handle the hard situations. This is my favorite podcast to listen to. Love you, Lo, with a rainbow, a heart, and a little flower. Oh, thank you, Kelsey Collins. Those episodes with the queen are so close to my heart. I feel like it's a part of my soul I'm putting on this podcast. She is so close to me. And so the fact that you guys are loving those episodes, whenever I have the queen on, I know the episode is going to do well. People love having her on. And it just makes me so happy. I will be recording the queen more secret recordings (laughs) against her will. And also, I'll have her on just as a guest without having to secretly record her. But I love having her on. I'm glad you guys are enjoying her on as well. All right, next review is coming in hot from Brooke Watts. Brooke underscore Watts writes, like listening to a BFF, five stars. Hey, Lo, I just got done listening to your episode from Thursday with your madre. I loved it. I'm pregnant right now with my first child, and it's a boy. Oh, Hearing how she handled your emotions was amazing advice, and I will definitely be using her parenting strategies on my fin. This episode really spoke to me, so thank you for sharing with the lowlifers. Handling a child's emotions is not easy, and she explained it in such an eloquent and helpful way. So again, thank you for sharing, and love you, puta, with a unicorn, a little taco, and a burrito. <laughs> oh, Brooke, thank you for that beautiful review. Congrats. On the baby boy, little Finn coming into this world. You have a little prince. I love it so much. Please join the Low Life Facebook group if you haven't already, Brooke, because one thing the Low Lifers love, besides, of course, puppy pics, are cute baby pics. Share little pics of Finn in the Low Life Facebook group, Queen. All right, we have time for one more review. This one is coming in hot from at Sarah H. Hernandez 318. Sarah Hernandez writes Mama Queen, five stars. I love this episode with the queen right before Mother's Day. Even though she was upset you recorded her without her knowledge, there were so many nuggets of gold in that episode. Her sharing about what she taught you growing up is something I will totally apply to my parenting as I raise my toddlers. Teaching rhythm is something I would have never thought about, and the way she taught you about emotions and how to communicate them with a heart. Happy Mother's Day to the queen. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I'm actually going to share any review about the queen. I send him right her way because she never believes me that you guys love her on the podcast. She thinks I'm making it up. and I'm not not making it up, queen. The proof is right here with Sarah Hernandez. She loved the episode. I'm glad you got something great out of that. And I thought it was pretty cool that My mom wanted to teach me rhythm, too. I didn't understand the story behind that. But now, as an adult, I'm like, oh, that was pretty cool. I'm going to do the same for my little shits one day, making sure they could dance, do some Janet choreo in the living room with me. (laughs) And that's the perfect place to leave this week's episode. I hope you have a beautiful weekend ahead. Put on a mud mask, push your cuticles back, enjoy a good Netflix documentary, pour yourself a nice big glass of wine, throw some frozen grapes in there. But don't forget to drink your water, puta. Because I know you're thirsty. <laughs> we, we love, love you. you. And we're out. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Over there with you. <laughs>